everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Strip Search, the comic strip podcast, talking about all things comic strips. I am Pete Chianka, and I am here, as always, with Dave London. Hi, Dave. Hey, Pete. How are things going with you? Things are going well. Good to be back online here, or on the air, I guess. Yes, we uh, took a little hiatus. It's been a few months since our last podcast. We, we were doing a really good job of doing one of these a month. And we had a little, a little off the rails because I am uh, gainfully employed at a new place of business, and uh, that sort of threw a wrench into our our plans the last few months. I, I thought you told me you were in witness protection. Well, that is what I meant, but you're really not supposed to talk about that uh, out loud. But uh, my name is Frank Johnson now. Um, <laughs> No, I don't know. I don't know where I got that. No, I am now working for uh, Boston.com. If you are in the Boston area, you are probably aware of it. We're affiliated with the Boston Globe, and I am on the news side there doing the journalism thing that I've done for so long. But I am still, of course, working on Pet Peeves, the comic strip that Dave and I work to work on together. Uh, we have three new strips every week, and that's another streak we've managed to keep up, haven't we, Dave? We have going on a few years now, well over the uh, 500, approaching the 600 strip mark, actually. Yeah, I think it'll be our, our four-year anniversary next month for Pet Peeves. Ooh, what are you going to get me? <laughs> yeah, I'm still shopping around, uh, but you're so hard to buy for, Dave. That's the problem. You know, you, know, you, you're, you draw on an iPad now, so I can't buy you ink. Uh, uh, well, let's do this. Let, let's tell our listeners uh, our, we have some good news about uh, where you can find our books more and more places these days. Why don't you uh, rattle off where people can find the Pet Peeves book? That's true. This is very exciting. So, of course, if you go to our website, PetPeevesComic.com, you will see a very prominent link to our Amazon page where you can buy the Pet Peeves book. We recommend you buy the paperback edition, although there is also an ebook if you prefer to read it on your tablet or your reader. We will be at the Boston Kids Comics Fest in Boston this April, uh, where we will have many books along with t-shirts and some other fun stuff to to sell you. And also, this is pretty exciting, the Million Year Picnic, which is one of the oldest and best comic stores in uh, on the entire eastern seaboard, and I'm not even exaggerating. Um, they're in Harvard Square, Cambridge, and they're going to be carrying our book on their shelves pretty soon. So you'll be able to pick up a copy there. So uh, it's pretty, pretty exciting. It's, uh, it's out there if you want to find it. And Not that hard. No, no, no. Uh, and, you know, we, we encourage you to buy it because uh, not only is it funny, but, uh, you know, we like to sell our, our wares. That's um, right. Speaking of books, Pete, don't you have some news on another front uh, with some book reviews that uh, you well, we. I have, you know, I do try to keep up with the um, comic comics related book scene the best I can. And I, I just wanted to recommend a book that I, I'm not a hundred percent done with it, uh, but I've been, I have been reading it. It's called the, the peanuts papers and it just came out last year and they collect uh, essays by a, a number of uh, sort of very diverse writers all talking about um, what peanuts has, has meant to them. And uh, some of them, talk about the strip, some about the, the TV specials, some about the music on the TV specials. Some of them really get into the weeds. But if Peanuts has, has meant a lot to you, as it has to so many of us, it, it really is a, a great read. And I know it just reminded me of, you know, how, how much, you know, if I had to come up with a short list of 
art and artists that sort of shaped who I am as a person. I, I think Charles Schultz and, and Peanuts would be uh, in the in the top three up there, maybe with uh, you know Jim Henson and uh, Stan Lee, maybe. <laughs> um, but Peanuts might be on top of the list. So Oliver Hardy gets the short shrift. I don't even know who that is. We well, said Stan Lee as I was making a. <laughs> oh right, right. <laughs> yes, I was referring to the Stan Lee of Marvel Comics fame, <laughs> but I enjoyed the lovable antics of Laurel and Hardy very much as as a child. So check that out if you're looking for a uh, a good book for yourself or for the comic strip and Peanuts fan uh, in your life. Also, we wanted to mention that um, we understand they're sort of doing a, a relaunch, revamp of comic strip Cartoonist Magazine, which we've been lucky enough to have been featured in several times. And they've really sort of concentrated on sort of feature interviews, um, information about cartoonists. And it sounds like they're going more in the direction of, of just spotlighting the, the work of many uh, really talented cartoonists. And we're looking to be part of that as well. So... You could find a link to that on our website, along with where to find our book and this podcast and past podcasts and information on all our guests at PetPeevesComic.com. And we encourage you to uh, visit early and often to keep up with what we're doing and to, you know, just enjoy uh, some of our past work and our current work, too. Dave, anything else on our agenda for this week? Uh, no, I think we can uh, just lead right into who our special guest of the day is. That's right. We are going to be talking to Dwayne Abel. He's calling in from the great state of Ohio. That's a swing state, you know, Dave. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't even have a joke for that. But... <laughs> yeah, we're going to get into trouble no matter what you say. So we'll just <laughs> we'll just move on. He uh, does the comic strip Z, which runs in weekly papers all over the country. He also uh, has a TV show in Ohio called Cartooning with Dwayne, and he is a very experienced and established public speaker going to talk to school groups and uh, business organizations and senior citizens' homes, you name it. He's been there talking about cartooning, but it's not a how to cartoon. It's more using cartoons to help people find their own true potential in whatever it is that they're they're good at. So we're really excited to talk to him about how that works and uh, hear what he has to say. And we'll just leave you with, if that's not enough, we're going to talk a little bit about some 1970s classic TV shows with Dwayne. That's true. I can't believe I almost forgot to mention that. There's a knock on your door. I'll be waiting for you. Wait, I don't even remember what the words were. Dave, sing the Three's Company theme for me. Oh, God, I can't sing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I'll be waiting for you. John Ritter. That's all I have to say. Yeah, poor John Ritter. All right, we'll be right back. Stay tuned, everybody. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Strip Search, the comic strip podcast with Pete Chianka and Dave London. And right now, we are with our very special guest this month, the very talented cartoonist Dwayne Abel. Dwayne, welcome to Strip Search. Thank you, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. Let's get the show on the road. Um, and I always like to start off, you know, we like to talk about um, the work that our cartoonist guests do, and you have the very funny comic strip Zed. I'm going to, I, I'm not 100% positive, but I am almost sure 
that Zed is a sentient piece of dryer lint. Am I correct in that assumption? You went out on a limb. You're safe. You can stay up in that tree. 100% correct. He is walking, talking, dryer lint. Uh, And and I'm going to also go out on a limb and guess he's the only walking, talking piece of dryer lint in the comics. Is that your is that in your comic, experience? But as far as my comic strip goes, the very first strip that I drew many, many years ago uh, tells you that there is a world that connects all washers and dryers together. And Zed made a wrong turn one day, popped up out of a brand new washing machine, has been adopted by a very loving family based on my own parents. And uh, that's where the strip began almost 25 years ago. I love that. You know, to say it's original is sort of an understatement. Um, and, it, and it also explains where all my socks have gone. So <laughs> absolutely, uh, I take I would take none of the credit, but I take all the blame. <laughs> and how long have you been doing it? I started drawing my comic strip set when I was 15 years old, and uh, I will turn 40 this year. This year will be the 25th anniversary. So to draw a comic strip for 25 years and still have no one know who you are—that's <laughs> quite an accomplishment. <laughs> I mean, you know, you had to go a long way to make that happen. <laughs> that is a challenge. <laughs> and I say, I'm glad you did the math and didn't force us to do that. No. Uh, yeah. I took math for liberal <laughs> arts in college. They, they know how to keep it simple for us cartoonists. <laughs> exactly. So where can people find it then? You're, you're clearly hiding it, but, uh, oh, oh no. <laughs> Uh, it runs in about uh, 30 weekly newspapers all across the country, and these newspapers are so large. I have one client newspaper in Alabama that they will tell you who's got the biggest pumpkin in town every single fall. And then it also runs at CorkyComics.com. That's my website, C-O-R-K-E-Y, Comics.com, and also uh, uploads every single week on Instagram. Well, we have, you know, I personally, Dave can attest, I I spent most of my career, my day job, you might say, in uh, the weekly newspaper business. And I certainly appreciate what they bring to the table if if they're done well. (laughs) They are are in always. And having a local, you know, or a, a, um, you know, an original cartoonist, uh, I I think is, they should, more of them should be making that investment is, is my opinion. Um, Agree completely. But well, it's a it's a very funny strip, and I, I I like it because it sort of straddles that line between kids would find it hilarious, but there's stuff that the adults will get to. Basically, and we we sort of take this approach with our strip too. If you're a kid or you've been a kid at some point in your life, you'll appreciate right. the humor. I say the exact same thing. Yeah, and we we did also want to talk a little bit though about you don't have the the typical bio. Of a lot of the cartoonists we talked to, first of all, you you don't seem like you're um, antisocial, and have been spent the last you know twenty five years sitting in a closet drawing. You've actually like gone out into the world. Am I right? Well, I have to because I have so many stories and I have so many audiences that enjoy these stories, enjoy me speaking on stage, that I have to get them out of my system so my wife will let me come back home. <laughs> but the only thing I have that makes me different than another cartoonist is I just have a niche. Uh, Carl Reiner, when he was getting ready to create the classic Dick Van Dyke show, he said, what unique real estate do I stand on? Well, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a comedy writer. And he just put those things together and out came the Dick Van Dyke show. Well, for me, uh, I am a cartoonist. 
I'm a family man. I'm a husband. But also, I am very well versed on stage. I went to college on a full theatrical scholarship. I'm very comfortable acting, singing, and dancing on stage. So the fact that I'm not antisocial just means I'm a very good actor when it comes to that. So that's just my own unique real estate that I stand on. That's great. I mean, and so talk about your typical audience. Are you you're talking to school groups, youth groups? They're, they're aimed at kids primarily, right? Well, I have a present assembly entitled Draw Your Destiny, where I showcase four words to success that all students need to hear. And so far, I've reached almost a thousand elementary schools in my career, and that is about 42 states and counting. My goal was to reach all 50 by my 40th birthday, which is next month. So sadly, I will not make that goal. But uh, that's very rewarding. I get to motivate all of these and inspire all of these students with four words because uh, the reason I do it is because I had great parents. I hit the genetic lottery. Great parents, great teachers. My wife doesn't have that. She didn't have that exact story to tell. So there's a lot of kids out there that need the encouragement that they don't get from home or even from school. And that's kind of where I come in. That's great. So we, so it's not just about cartooning. It's cartooning as uh, a, a venue to sort of get this other um, you know message out there, no matter what they're interested in. Truthfully, it's not about cartooning at all. I'm not doing a cartooning class for no. kids. Just it's just my expertise. Mm-hmm. That, which for some people that might be playing basketball. It might be uh, unicycling. Believe it or not, I've seen that assembly too. And just cartooning is what I do that makes me unique, makes me different. It uh, allows kids to see that hey, if you have a passion. If you follow those four words, you can make that passion a reality. And hopefully that comes through in every single assembly that I do. That's great. And uh, how far, what's the furthest you've traveled so far to uh, do one of your presentations? I'm based in Ohio, so I've reached the entire East Coast, uh, and the furthest I've gone to the other side of the country is Seattle has invited me a couple of times, uh, California has invited me a couple of times, Nevada once or twice, because the problem is whenever I reach a new state and I've never been before, I present an assembly, word of mouth spreads, and then I get invited back to that state, so that doesn't leave as much time to reach a new state because I get to go back and visit these states I've already been to before. And the problem with my job is even though I do travel more than some, I am a horrible traveler. <laughs> I, I, I do not enjoy traveling. I don't want to see the sights you have to offer in your town. I'm sure they're lovely. I'm sure they're gorgeous, but I just want to be home. I want to come back to my wife and kids. I love every single school I speak at, but then I just want to be back home. Yeah, there's a giant ball of twine out there somewhere that you might not have seen. Oh, well, one, one hour from my house in West Virginia is the world's largest tea kettle. So I drive by that more often than not on my way to the Pittsburgh uh, airport. All right. Well, that counts. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, did you want to uh, dive into this conversation? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Pete. So, Dwayne, so I, I tend to be the guy that asks the more technical question, the tools that the cartoonist uses, uh, old school, okay. new school. And so if if I can uh, sort of uh, leverage the conversation and let's get down to the actual cartooning you do and tell, talk a little bit about your process and if it's evolved into any kind of uh, technology over time. 
Uh, well, my process has always been the same. It's been the same for the past 18 years because my wedding anniversary uh, will be 18 years next month. What I do is, is I sit down someplace very quiet and I ask one very important question, and that is, what stupid thing have I done today? And I always get an answer. And then I just start writing. And then when I have enough ideas, uh, usually I do about 12 to 13, I will take the best the top best, probably three or four, and show them to my editor, otherwise known as my wife, and she will then pick out the ones she likes, and she will disregard the ones that she does not because she does not have time to play around. She's busy. She runs two businesses. She cannot spare my feelings one bit. So as soon as she's approved them, then I can go and I can draw them up. Now, the one thing that kids are fascinated whenever I speak during an assembly is I make sure they know that everything is done 100% by hand. There is no computers at all involved in the rendering of my comic strip. It's just paper, it's a pencil, and then it's uh, Micron Pigma ink on top of that, uh, a kneaded eraser, and then then it gets scanned into a computer. So it's basically I've been doing the same process for 25 years. I am very adamant as to not using any technology to render my comic strip. And and for those of our listeners uh, who are like me and who totally geek out on the, the nitty gritty, what paper are you using? And then when you scan it, what program are you using? And what do you use the uh, program for? Uh, Strathmore Bristol Board. That's what I've used my entire career. Any pencil that I can find right now, I'm using pencils that were stolen from the kiosk of the Ohio State Lottery <laughs> uh, because they have very sharp pencils and they're also very tiny because I've discovered the tinier the pencil I have, the less likelihood that someone in my house will steal it. So the smaller pencils are the ones that are left on my drawing board. And any needed eraser that I can get from an art supply store and then Micron Pigmas, usually uh, point. 05 for all characters, and then 0.8s are for the lettering and the borders, and it just gets scanned into Adobe Photoshop, it gets formatted, and then it gets sent off to my client newspapers. It's pretty simple, I would say. I don't, I don't, it's not too elaborate. Thank you. That, I think that covers the uh, the technical portion of our program, mm -hmm. and now we can jump <laughs> <laughs> more stuff. <laughs> As the person who doesn't do the drawing, that sounds it's very impressive to me that you've managed to um, keep up with that process, given you sound like a pretty busy guy. I know we wow. do, you know, Dave do, does use the elect, more the electronic approach. Obviously, you, like everybody else, used to be traditional, you know, pen on paper. But, um, I, I, you know, Dave, and you could speak, you could speak to this. I, I think it would be very hard to keep up the pace if you were still, you know, using ink and getting them getting them done with everything else that goes on in life. I, I mean, what I would say, Dwayne, at least for me, I switched to drawing on an iPad uh, about maybe a year or two ago. And the portability of it is uh, just unbelievable. And for somebody with your travel schedule, I mean, I'm not suggesting do or don't do it, but the ability for me just to open up the iPad and work anywhere I am has just made... Um, sort of a global change in the way I do business when it comes to the cartooning. Well, can I tell you how bullheaded I am? My grandfather uh, never fixed any farm machinery his entire life. He would just beat it with a hat. Uh, he had the only <laughs> farm where everything in the, in the farm ran on pure guilt. So I will never 
switch to uh, <laughs> electronics. I would never do it on a tablet. Why? I like the way the paper feels. I like the way the pencil feels. I like the way that things move whenever I get the line just right. And plus, uh, whenever I pull, whenever I carry around my briefcase and do pull things out and start working on them whenever I'm traveling, I always get people that are looking over my shoulders. That's why whenever I do an assembly, I make sure there's zero technology on stage other than a microphone, because I want kids to see something being created right in front of their eyes. That's where the magic comes into play. Uh, in my neck of the woods, I live in Ohio. If you want anything done well, you hire an Amish contractor to do it. <laughs> and they've been doing it the exact same way for hundreds of years. They don't need to keep up with technology. So when it comes to my comic strip, I will not either. I will die out using paper and pencil that is a promise excellent i wonder if there's any amish cartoonists that they're using like you know uh, <laughs> you know what uh amish amish they are incredibly funny they are very self-aware and they are awesome people to be around yeah we don't see a lot of them in the boston area not a lot of no, amish you, you don't <laughs> no <laughs> no there's some luddites but not 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 a lot of amish so I also, and I, I mentioned earlier, you know, about your, your bio and um, there, there's so many good bullet points on this. I'm just going to go through, <laughs> through a few and let you explain them. Does that, that sound good? All right, go right ahead. Fire away. All right. Well, first, just to go back into your theatrical training, you said you, you know, you had a full scholarship and it sounds like some of your uh, instructors and mentors are people we might've heard uh, of. Uh, if we are of a certain age and we're watching a certain amount of TV. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, when I attend the University of Akron, they were bringing in uh, artists, uh, visiting artists from time to time. One of the artists that really impressed my mom, I took a master acting class with Robert Urich. And he was, of course, Vegas, Spencer for Hire, yeah. and probably a million other TV credits. That impressed my mother. The fact that I was being trained theatrically on stage did not impress my mother one bit. But Robert Urich, that was really interesting. And then uh, I took a one-on-one -on -one acting course with a gentleman named Paul Link. Now, the name might not sound familiar, but if anyone watched Chips back in the 1970s and you remember Officer Grossman, that was Mr. Paul Link. Oh, I signed up for a master acting class, thinking the class would be full. I walked in. It was only me. So it was a one-on-one -on -one <laughs> class with uh, Mr. Link about how to produce, direct, star in a one-man show, which has only served me very well when it comes to my assemblies. And then my dance teacher for many years was a woman named Mary Kay Black. Now, I'm sorry, Mary Ann Black. I'm not sure where the Mary Kay, Mary Ann Black. Now, Mary Ann Black, she was a very tiny redhead with a great big smile. And if anyone has ever seen Three's Company, there was one episode where they brought back the original uh, roommate. Her name was Eleanor. And Jack was worried that Eleanor was going to move back into the apartment and he was going to be out. You can probably see it if you YouTube it right now. Right. And I and think there was there was sort of like a funny misunderstanding. Absolutely. And one of them said something and somebody else thought they yep. meant something else. Yep, and, and Eleanor was played by Mary Ann Black. Mary Ann is a teacher of dance and theater in my neck of the woods in Ohio, and she was my dance teacher for many years. Now, and in terms of sort of your path after that, did you attempt to go, uh, you know, whole hog into 
acting and performing? Um, is it something that I, I had no I had no desire at all. I wasn't even expecting to get a scholarship. What happened was <laughs> I went to a high school. It was a very small high school, but it had a very good, very well known theatrical program. And we were the first high school in the nation to do Disney's Beauty and the Beast. This was a big deal. And they brought in some college representatives and they were there to see other people. And they happened to see me. And lo and behold, they offered me a full scholarship to college. So my parents said, well, you are now a theater major. So <laughs> that was that. And the way I found out about that was a great story because I went to the mailbox right after graduating high school. And there were two letters in the mail. The first letter was from the University of Akron offering me the full scholarship. The other was from a book publisher that has now been out of business called Plan 9 Publishing. And they offered me my first book deal. So I called the only person that was home at the time. I called my grandfather and I said, Grandpa, great news. I just got a full scholarship to college and I got my first book deal. And my grandpa said, well, that's all well and good, but I'm still going to need you on the back of the hay wagon in five <laughs> minutes. We have a lot of work to do today. So in my family, we got to celebrate for about five seconds and then spend five hours on the back of a hay wagon. So the fact that I was going to college on a full theater scholarship, knowing that I was never going to become a professional actor because whenever I was getting ready to leave, they would sit you down and say, okay, what are your plans? Where are you going to go? Los Angeles, New York, Chicago. And I said, I'm going back to a small town, Ohio. I'm going to be a cartoonist. I'm not going to be an actor. <laughs> and it and worked. And it worked. Uh, it did. And that's only because I'm very bullheaded. I'm very pigheaded. Once I get an idea in my head, I will not let it go. But during that time, uh, my senior year of college was also when I got married because I met this girl. She was 18. She had a three-month-old son. And I just fell head over heels. And we ran off and got married five months later. So when I was 22, I had an 18-year-old wife. I just graduated college. And the only nervous person in the room was my father-in-law because oh no his daughter had just married a guy who was an actor just graduated college and dreamt of becoming a cartoonist he thought we'd be living in their basement for the rest of their life so the fact that i'm not makes my father-in-law very happy right and i'm sure there was a barn you could have lived in somewhere oh there's always <laughs> barns around here <laughs> a degree is a degree you got a free college degree and I think it's in my, I think it's in a desk drawer. I only have it displayed anywhere in my house. So, and it sounds so. like, and, and what you learned, and, and this is, I'm a little biased. My daughter is currently in college as a, a dual major in theater and history. Okay. And when she was making that decision, yes, we're, we're not sure which is the more useful of the two. We, we time will tell. But when we talked to people who had been theater majors um, previously, they all said, it, there's nothing they do in their life where it doesn't uh, come into play, whether it's just confidence or speaking in front of people or being organized or meeting deadlines. Um, and it sounds like you've certainly taken some of the things you've learned there and put them to good use. Oh, absolutely. That's why I can walk into any room because not only do I speak in schools, but I also speak to, uh, I speak as a keynote when it comes to conferences and events of that nature where they're very stuffy, very boring adults and I have to entertain them. And then when I'm not doing any of that, sometimes I will speak in a retirement community where I tell stories about very bygone cartoonists. So I might speak to four and five-year-olds in the morning, and I might finish out my day speaking to uh, ladies and gentlemen that are in their early 
early to late nineties. So <laughs> wow. you really you really run the gamut when it comes to all ages. So if you had to you mentioned bygone cartoonists, we, we also like to ask our guests who were was the or were the cartoonists that um, sort of most influenced you or that you most uh, you know look back on most fondly uh, from your formative years. Could oh, you, there's a ton. There's a ton. If you had, I'll if you try, had to narrow to it, it down, as, I'll try to keep it as short as possible. Uh, number one of as many would say Charles Schultz, of course. Uh, and then we have Tom Wilson, the creator of Ziggy. Bill Keen, the creator of Family Circus. Uh, Garfield, and I. I also enjoy Heathcliff. I think the early Heathcliff uh, by George Gatley is just absolutely amazing in its draftsmanship. And if you've ever seen my Instagram post, there was a cartoonist I was just talking about a couple of days ago. His name was Russell Johnson. And Russell Johnson drew a comic strip called Mr. Oswald. It only ran in one newspaper for over 65 years. And actually, that was a retail magazine for people in the hardware business. And he did this for 65 years, retired when he was 95 years old. And if you can get online and just type in Mr. Oswald by Russell Johnson, it's in the classic Bigfoot uh, comic strip style. His pages are absolutely gorgeous. And they're a time capsule in a time gone by. Isn't that something? Well, we will include a link to that um, on our website when we post this podcast. And we're also going to want to tell people, where they could find out uh, about Zed and about your performances and anything else they need to know about you. So where can they go for that? They can go to CorkyComics.com, and that is C-O-R-K-E-Y Comics.com. Not only is there the Zed comic strip, but also there is my TV show. I host a weekly TV show for a very small TV station in uh, the central Ohio area called Cartooning with Dwayne. They had an extensive audition search, but I was the Dwayne that they selected for this show, and it's a cartooning show for children. I get to teach kids how to draw cartoons. I get to interview some very famous cartoonists and finish up every single episode with a little bit of toonspiration, where I marry a cartoon with a little bit of inspiration, me talking straight to the camera. So my director calls the show a combination of Bob Ross meets Blue's Clues. So you can check that out as well, in addition to the Zed comic strip. Excellent. Well, Dwayne, thank you so much. This went, this flew by, <laughs> and we're already <laughs> at, uh, at our close. So we really appreciate you coming on Strip Search, and we encourage everybody to visit that website and, and check it out. So thank you so much. Gentlemen, thank you very much. It's been an honor and a privilege. Have a great rest of your day. Same to you and everyone else. Make sure to come back next month for another new episode of Strip Search the comic strip podcast. Thanks everyone.